0: We are finishing our series this morning on uh, the fruits of the Spirit. If you remember, we've we've been in a nine-week series called Living the Abundant Life. Because Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it what? More abundantly. And we've been seeing as we go through this series, we've been seeing that as we, Jesus promised, if we abide in him, he will abide in us and we will produce much fruit. But remember what Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But here's the good news, with Christ... Philippians 4.13 says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So here's, here's what we're going to look at today. We're looking at self-control. We're looking at the last fruit of the Spirit. Remember, we've been in this nine-week series. We've seen each fruit in detail, in depth we've studied. We've learned as we abide in Jesus, he'll abide in us. He'll produce fruits like love and joy, peace, patience. That was a tough one. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Last week, gentleness. This week, self-control. Self-control. Interesting. What is self-control? Well, I did some study on the Greek word for self-control. It's inkrata in the Greek. It's a virtue of one who has mastered his de- desires and passions, especially his sensual desires. And the King James Version translates self-control temperance. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight says about self-control, a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. No self-control. Analogy, uh, if you have no self-control, and you're not exercising this fruit of the spirit, you're like a city without walls. In that culture, the walls were the first form of defense against the enemies that would come in and try to destroy the city. And it's saying that a man without self-control is like a city that has no defense against its enemies. And so we're gonna look at this fruit of the spirit Of self control. It's very important fruit because, listen, if you don't have the fruit of the spirit of self control, what's going to happen is you're going to go back in prison. You're going to go back to, instead of being free, you're going to go back to being in bondage to the things that you don't have self control in. You know, when I was a kid, I always had kind of a a wondering in my heart what would I do if I was a prisoner? You know, I, I, one of the reasons why I always kind of wondered that in my heart is because my second cousin in Vietnam became a POW. You know what a POW is? Prisoner of war. He was a helicopter pilot that got shot down behind enemy lines, and he ended up in a, 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 a Vietnam prison camp. And then he just disappeared. He ended up being what's called an MIA. You know what that is? It's missing in action. I remember re- as a kid uh, wearing a little metal bracelet, with a M-I-A, M-I-A, or MIA and then POW on the bracelet with Marty Eichel's name on it, who's my second cousin. And I always wondered if I was Marty and I was in his situation, you know, what would I do in a Vietnam POW camp? Now, as a Christian, I know what I'd do now. I, what I do is I'd do, be, I'd be praying a lot. I'd be reading my Bible a lot, right? I'd <laughs> be praying, Lord, get me out of here. But another thing I would do if I was in that situation... Is I would figure out, a, or I'd try to figure out a way to get out of there. I would try to figure out a way to escape. And I remember as a kid growing up with that fascination what would I do if I was in Marty's position? I remember thinking, man, I would do whatever I could to be a freedom fighter and get out of there. And then I remember as a kid growing a little older and there was a movie that came out, it was called Papillon. How many people remember Papillon? Boy, some of you people are as old as I am. That's an old movie, Steve McQueen was in it. And he was in this French penal colony uh, prison camp in New Guinea. And it was, it was just brutal. I mean, he was just, he was in a situation where, where uh, it was so brutal that at times he'd be thrown in solitary confinement. And the only food he'd get was the bugs that were crawling on the dirt floor. It's brutal. He tried to escape several times in that movie. And then he ended up uh, uh, keep getting recaptured and me a prisoner. I remember watching that movie thinking, what would I do if I was in that situation? I'd do the same thing he did as Papion. I'd, I'd try to escape, get out of there, man. And then I remember as an adult going to, uh, for the first time to Israel, and going to the um, Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, seeing these horrible pictures of concentration camps and of people that were just famished to the point that they were just skeletons walking. And I remember seeing those pictures and saying, what would I do if I was a Jewish person in a concentration camp? You know what I'd do? I would do whatever it took to escape. Get out of there. And I'm bringing that up because, you know what? We're not physically in prison, but Satan's goal is to put us in prison to sin again. He wants us to be prisoners. And we, we're supposed to be freedom fighters as Christians. We're supposed to be doing whatever it takes to stay free as Christians. You know why? Because Jesus promised, you shall know the truth. And what? The truth will set you free. Jesus promised in John 8, 36, he said this. He says, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. We need to fight for that freedom and live in that freedom because that's a part of the dignity of Jesus wants us to live in. We're created in God's image. And he wants us as human beings that are now related to him through Christ. He wants us to continue to live in that freedom and the dignity of that freedom. It's important. It's a part of living according to the will of God and according to the image of Christ is live in freedom instead of being prisoners Romans 6 talks about this also. It says this. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer be what? Slaves to sin for he who has died is what? Freed from sin. Freedom. We're supposed to be free from sin. And here's the good news. The moment you receive Christ... The penalty of sin has been paid. The penalty of sin, we've celebrated that through communion, that the just took on the penalty for the unjust in order to bring us to God. We celebrate the penalty of sin is covered the moment we receive Christ. Then also, listen, Colossians tells us the moment you receive Christ also... The power of sin is gone. You know why? Because Jesus has nailed it to a cross and he's canceled that debt of certificate of, of sin but he's also disarmed the powers and principalities that are against us through his death on the cross. That's what Colossians tells us. So the power of sin has gone. You don't have to live in sin anymore once you come to Christ. Here's, the, here's a great promise too. And one day the presence of sin is gonna be gone when we get to heaven. When we see him, we too will see him as he is, and we too will be like him, and even the presence of sin will be gone. Christ in us is the hope of glory. But in the meantime, until we get to heaven, there's a battle going on. And we need to fight. We need to fight for our freedom. Why? Because we have a sinful nature that wants to pull us back into bondage again, and we're fighting against not only our sinful nature, but the world, the flesh, and the devil. And here's the battle. Listen to Romans chapter seven. Right after six, talking about freedom from sin, it says Romans seven, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold into bondage of sin. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Can anybody else relate to that? It's true. This is Paul saying this. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I don't do. But I practice the very evil I don't want. Interesting. But if I'm doing the very thing I don't want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I I find then that the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of mine and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Here's the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Interesting. We got this battle going on. We have a flesh that's bent towards sin and imprisonment to sin. But the good news is we've been given the Holy Spirit through our relationship with Christ and that spirit where the spirit of the Lord is. There's liberty. There's freedom. And we're gonna talk about now six ways, biblical principles. I'm gonna give you, these are tools. Six biblical principles that'll help us to live in this fruit of the spirit of self-control. And I want to give you these tools because they're important if we want to stay living in a place of freedom rather than imprisonment. If we want to stay in that place of being people of dignity that aren't mastered, as Paul said, by anything but Jesus Christ, we need to be practicing these six biblical principles. You ready, church? You ready? All right, let's get into it now. Hey, first step, if you want to live in freedom instead of imprisonment to sin, hey, this is, this is key. Be honest. Be honest with God and with others in regards to your struggles with sin. Be honest, man. It starts with God. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's what it's saying. The word there confess, homologio in the Greek, it means just agree. God is omniscient, He's omnipresent, He sees the dirt you do, anyways. He just wants you to be honest. And when you mess up, come to his throne of grace and homologio. Confess. Just agree. Say, God, I was wrong in this area. Forgive me. I'm sorry, Lord. I repent. Cleanse me now and get me back on track. It's very important that we're honest. Honest about our sin. Hmm. But it's not just with God. We need to be honest with other people too. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to what? Interesting. To one another and pray for one another that you might be what? Healed. So there's a power in getting it out in the light. There's a power for freedom. When you're struggling with something, first of all, be honest, be transparent, be honest with God, bring it to his throne of grace, but then also get a trusted brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, brother, I, I gotta share, I'm struggling in this area and I need you to pray for me and hold me accountable. And there's a power when it comes out into the light like that. AA, 12 Steps, that whole program is built on the truth that we're just going to be honest about this stuff and get it out in the open. And, and even though AA is just higher power, it's not Christ-centered and stuff, it's helped a lot of people because it just starts with honesty, right? And it starts with the fact that there's a struggle going on there and it breaks chains, that honesty. It's very important. Start with being honest with the struggles with God and then find a trusted brother or sister in Christ and get it out and then have them pray for you and then hold you accountable. When I was in Los Angeles, I remember going out there for the first time. I was there for 10 years. I lived in Southern California, but I went to Los Angeles to go to seminary, Fuller, Fuller Theological Seminary. And one of the first things I did was a friend, uh, a mutual friend of ours, I, this girl, uh, Angela, she was part of Young Life, and she decided. She'd been there already for a while in in L.A. And she decided to bring me to a place called um, um, Venice Beach. And and I'll, I'll never forget. I'm from the Midwest. You know, I get out there and she brings me to Venice Beach. I felt like I was on another planet. It's people with red mohawks this high up in the air. There's people wearing stuff that was barely wearing anything. It was just unbelievable. And I remember coming back from Venice Beach and going, where did I just move to? And then I remember thinking, after I got involved with seminary, I, I, I was 20, uh, 21, 22 years old, and I said, I need, I need some support here. A 21-year-old out in Los Angeles with, you know, just never been out there before, no family around. I said, I'm going to get some friends, and I did. I found two guys in my Greek class, Ron Stubbs and Dave Orlowski, and we started a, what we called the core group. Every Thursday night, we got together after we got our studies done. 9, 9.30 at night, and we would read scripture together, and then we'd get honest. And we'd share the struggles as 20 something year old, you know, single guys in LA we had, and we got honest. We shared not only our struggles, but our sins. And then we prayed for each other every Thursday. And then the next week we'd get together, and we'd share our struggles again and hold each other accountable. I'll never forget that. Because we got some victory in areas we never had victory in before, because we were just honest. Honest with God and with one another. First step in freedom, honesty. Again, Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Living in truth and honesty with God and others is the first step to exercising self-control. Second step, very important, don't quit in your struggles with sin. Don't quit. It's very important because the devil's goal when you start struggling is not only to keep you in deception and dishonesty in that struggle, but the devil's goal also is to get you just to give up and give in. Can't win in this area, I'm just gonna give up and give in. That's wrong. Because the righteous man falls seven times. But what does it say? He rises again. It's part of our righteousness is, yeah, we're gonna make mistakes, yeah, we're gonna struggle, yeah, we're gonna do wrong things, but we're gonna keep fighting. What did Paul say at the end of his life? I've fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith keep fighting. Paul said this also in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I reach forward to what lies ahead and I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's Paul saying there? He's saying hey, forget. Forget what the stuff you've done in the past. Forget the past failures and press on to future victories. Do you see what he's saying there? Forget it. Because the devil is an accuser of the brethren, he wants to paralyze you in your struggle, and he wants you to quit pressing on to the upward call of God that God has for you in Christ Jesus. Very important that we don't quit in our struggles with sin. I love what Matthew, over there, uh, Luke one thirty-seven. Matthew also repeats it in 19.26. With God, what? Nothing is Impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. He can give you the victory if you keep pressing on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You can do all things, not some things, all things through Christ who gives you strength. So Christian, not only be honest if you want to exercise self-control, but also please don't quit. Keep fighting, man. Keep pressing on and forget the stuff, the defeats of the past. Press on to the victories in the future. Very important. Very important. Hmm. I'll never forget when I was in college, one of my college pastors at the campus church I was a part of, I wrote it down in my notebook. He said this, um, a sign of a spiritually mature person is not how many times he falls, but how quickly he gets up. That's a good word right there. And I wrote that down, and I said, I'm going to practice that. I'm going to be spiritually mature, and when I make mistakes, I'm going to keep short accounts with God, and when I blow it and I have failures, I'm going to run to his throne of grace, and I'm going to confess that sin. He'll be faithful. He'll be just. He'll forgive my sin, and I'm going to get back on walking with him. The last 40 years of walking with the Lord, that's, that's, that's served me well, knowing God's grace is there, and then keeping those short accounts when I do make mistakes of getting it right with him and then pressing on and keep going forward in that walk with God. It's an important part of living in freedom is don't quit in your struggles and press on after failure. Third thing, and this is obvious, but please, listen, because a lot of times we don't practice this. And we fail and we get imprisoned at things because we're not careful in this area. And that is stay away from any place or person that might bring temptation to you in the area you're struggling with in self-control. Stay away. Stay away from any place or any person that's pulling you back into being a prisoner in the area you're struggling with. And Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter five. He said this, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, what is Jesus saying there? Is he saying next week, many of you should come to church here, should have cut off hands and gouged out eyes. Ooh, like, no, please don't do that. That's not what he's saying. It's teaching by hyperbole. That's that's teaching through exaggeration. He's making a point. He's saying if you want to have freedom rather than imprisonment to your sin. If there's things in your life you need to cut off, if there's things you need to gouge out, do it. Get out, get rid of it, cut it off, and it'll help you live a free life. Very important to understand, there's some things that just aren't worth having, and if you're getting burned, get out of the kitchen, man. Stay a country mile away from it. Look at Joseph in the Old Testament when that Potiphar's wife kept grabbing him and saying, lie with me. What did he do? Well, let me, let me fight this. No, he didn't, he didn't fight. What did he do? He ran. He fled. He said, I am out of dodge here. It's important. Sometimes you're just going to have to cut off things and gouge out things, places and associations. There's some places you just shouldn't go as a Christian. Especially if it's a place where you struggle in that same area, you should just stay away. There's some people you just need to keep a distance from because they're going to pull you back in to imprisonment. When we started this church, we started our men's breakfast at Lizard's Thicket. I still don't know why any restaurant would call themselves Lizard's Thicket. <laughs> you know, what a, <laughs> we're going to go and eat lizards there. What in the world? Anyways, we started it there because it's just a popular place here in Lexington. We started our men's breakfast there. And I'll never forget it because um, we just had a handful of guys. Now we have like 50 to 60 men on Saturday mornings in the cafe for breakfast. This is, we have maybe four, four to five guys a lot, of, a lot of Saturdays I remember one Saturday as we were beginning the church, at Lizard's Thicket, this gentleman walked into our men's breakfast and Said he had just been visiting Calvary Chapel for a couple of Sundays. He heard about us eating breakfast at Lizard's Thicket, and he joined us. I saw there was a struggle going on him. He's battling something. And so after Ben's breakfast, I volunteered to disciple him for a few weeks. And so I got a story. And the story was that he was a deacon at a church up in Irmo, and uh, he fell morally. And he had an affair on his wife, and they had two little daughters. And he went and lived with this woman he had an adulterous affair with. and he's cut off. He said at that point, I've cut off this relationship. I'm seeking counsel and we're trying to get back together as a family. I said, praise the Lord. Let's keep doing discipleship. And then the week after that, he came back. And I'll never forget, he was distraught again after he just started, this, started the discipleship. And I waited until after the men's breakfast and said, hey, what's going on? What, 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 it seems like you're upset. What's going on? And he said, well, she's calling again. And at first, I took it wrong. I said, Well, praise the Lord, your wife's calling you again. Come on, praise God. He goes, No, 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 no. She's calling again. And I said, Oh. And he said, And she needs my help. And she's living by herself and is afraid. And not only is she afraid, but she needs things fixed at her apartment. And she wants me to come over and help her. And he said, What should I do? You know, what I told him. I said you need to have one more phone conversation with her, and tell her that you're reconciling with your wife and your two daughters, and you will never see her again. He said, "Well, that's mean." I said, "I don't care if it's mean. You need to tell her that it's done. You want your family back. You want your daughters back. You need to cut off this relationship." I said, Well, how am I going to do that she keeps calling me? I said, You got caller ID? And she goes, Yeah, I got caller ID. Tell her one more conversation. I can never see you again and I'll never talk to you again. And after that, if she calls again, don't answer the phone. And you know what? Amazing thing. He listened to me. It's amazing. I give counsel all the time and it's like, No, yeah, right. Didn't I do that? But he listened to me and he cut off that relationship. And you know what? Several years later, I was at a wedding in Irmo. And uh, interesting, after, after he reconciled his wife, he never came to Calvary Chapel again because he went back to their church in Irmo. But I, several years later, I'm at a wedding in Irmo, and the wedding coordinator comes up to me and says, thank you. I said, okay, for what? She said, I'm so-and-so's wife. And uh, he's been back now for several years, and we've reconciled as a family. <laughs> and not only that, we had another baby girl together. And not only that, we're happy. I said, well done. Praise the Lord. He got victory in that area. Why did he get victory in that area? Because he cut off that association. He gouged it out. And the Lord blessed. Amen? Important principle. Stay away, stay away from any place or person that might bring temptation to the area you're struggling with with regards to self-control. Here's another one. Fourth principle i want to give you this morning. Know your weak areas and how the devil tempts you in those areas. Know those things. Second Corinthians uh, talks about this, Paul speaking. 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan for we're not ignorant of, of Satan's what? Schemes. Do you know the devil's scheming against you? He wants to get you back in prison. And one of the things you need to do if you're going to live in victory is not only stay away from the temptation or the person or the place, but also know how, he's, know how he's tempting you. Know your weak areas. Jesus put it this way be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus was talking about another version be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. And sometimes we're failing, we're getting back in prison as sin because we're not being wise. Be honest with you, we're being stupid. Right? Instead of having the wisdom of knowing what Satan's doing in our lives, not unaware of his schemes, and then being wise to his attacks. It's called counterintelligence. What does that mean? If you want to defeat an enemy, you need to know the enemy. Great book in that, by the way. If you want to do some reading on that, read C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape Letters. It's the letters from a senior devil to a junior devil, talking about how the devil is trying to attack us. And it's a great book in learning the strategies, the schemes of how the devil works against us. It's called Screw Tape Letters. You know, I was reading, I'm reading another book right now, po- The Power of Positive Leadership. Interesting book by John Gordon. John Gordon is a, a leadership coach around the country. And he's really close friends with Dabo Sweeney from Clemson. So it kind of piqued my interest. So we've been reading this as a whole staff. And what's interesting about uh, John Gordon's book is he makes a bunch of references to Dabo. And one of the things, one of the reasons he says Dabo has been so successful in his leadership, winning a national championship football coach at our Clemson University, is because he's big on counterintelligence. He's so big on it. When he started as the head coach, the first thing he asked from his athletic director was, Could you buy us for our our office, for all the coaches, could you buy a flat screen TV so we could watch the films of all our opposing teams so we'll know what we're up against every week in those games. And in this book, it's interesting because it said when Dabo asked for that, they were still really struggling as a football program. They lost five times, five years in a row to USC, the Gamecocks. Praise the Lord if you're Gamecocks, but it wasn't easy for Clemson there. Five years in a row. And you know what the athletic director told Dabo? No. We don't have the money in the program right now. We can't have a TV for your office. So you know what Dabo did? He went out and bought a flat-screen TV with his own money. He put that thing up on the wall, and he watched for hours and hours and hours with his other coaches, his assistant coaches, all the opposing teams, and it helped him win a national championship because of the counterintelligence he did on the enemy they were going to face each week on the football field, right? Right? And it's interesting too, I've read some things about Deshaun Watson, who was the national championship quarterback for Clemson, and he was known for hours and hours and hours and hours before every football game watching the opposing team, learning their weaknesses, and learning the way they'd be opposing him as a quarterback, and it helped him win the national championship. That's just football, guys. How much more should we be people that are wise as serpents, innocent as doves, and not unaware of the way Satan is scheming against us. Gotta wise up, and, and, and not be ignorant in the way that you're falling on a consistent basis against the schemes of the devil. Let's wise up, let's wise up. You know, I was reading this week again, too, about um, uh, Billy Graham, <laughs> I love Billy Graham. And one of the great things about Billy Graham was he was wise in this area we're talking about of Satan's schemes. So much so that in 1948, when he was only 30 years old, he did what was called the Modesto Manifesto. He put together this contract for himself that he personally signed and the rest of the team. And everybody signed this agreement, this contract. And it had four areas. It had the area of women, financing, pride, and gossip. And everybody on his team signed this contract that said we will never be alone ever as men with a woman besides our wife. We'll never be in a restaurant by ourselves. We'll never be in a car by ourselves. We'll never be in a hotel room by ourselves with a woman besides our wife or our mom or our daughter. And everybody signed it. And for the last 60 plus years, everybody on their team said, we're gonna be careful in this area. We're not gonna be unaware of Satan's schemes there because he had seen evangelists all around him fall morally because they weren't careful in that area. Then they made another decision in regards to finances. They said, we will always be accountable in our finances as the Billy Graham uh, Evangelistic Association we will have books that are above board, we'll be accountable, we'll all have set salaries, and that's it. And then he made another decision. He said, on the Modesto Manifesto, we will never gossip about other ministries. We'll always be careful not to say negative things about other evangelists and other ministries. And then he also said this. Not only that, he said that in regards to uh, pride, he said, we will never exaggerate our numbers. There was a saying back in the 40s when they made this Modesto Manifesto, it was evangelistically speaking. means you're exaggerating what you're saying. Billy Graham said, no, we're always going to be honest with our crusade numbers and everything else. And you know what? Because they were wise in these areas, Billy Graham, like few others, not only kept integrity, but he finished well. Finished well. 99 years old. And they were looking for dirt on him for 60 plus years. And they, they never published any dirt on Billy Graham. You know Why? Because there wasn't any. And that's, that's, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that, amen? And I admire him so much. But a part of the reason why there wasn't dirt and he had integrity is because he was careful. He set up boundaries. He was wise in these areas. Just in the last five years, five, six years. Two of my favorite pastors. Guys that I've listened to, guys that I've learned from, guys that have helped me in the ministry. Both weren't wise like Billy Graham. And now they're not in ministry anymore. And not only that, they haven't finished well. Breaks my heart. And I was thinking about that this week. Man, I want to be wise. I want to keep the boundaries up. I want to be wise to those areas that I struggle in and I'm weak in. And I want to be careful. I want to be careful. And I want you to, too. I want us all to finish well. Let's all grow old together together winning, amen? Amen. So let's be wise. Hmm. Here's another one. This is really important. Another tool. You want to win? You want to live in self-control? You want to live in freedom? Please, read, study, meditate, hear on a consistent basis, and memorize God's word. Psalm 119, 9 and 11. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping in court on that word? Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Again, Jesus says you shall know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. 1 John chapter two, great verse on this. Verse 14 says, I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I've written to you young men because you're strong and why are they strong? Because the word of God abides in you and you have, what? Overcome the evil one. Why? Because the word of God abides in you. You're reading it. You're hearing it. You're memorizing. You're meditating on it. You're memorizing. You're getting it in your heart, man. That's why I love Calvary Chapel. That's why I love Calvary Chapel is because it's all about abiding in God's word and being a man or woman of the word. And as you have that, it sets you free. I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about the fact that I've been a Calvary Chapel pastor now for over 20 years, officially affiliated with Calvary Chapel and the movement. And one of the things I've been impressed with Calvary Chapel is I've known a lot of Calvary Chapel pastors over the last 20 years. Part of it is we go every year to the uh, our regional conference in Atlanta. Many years I've gone out to California. I've gone to Merritt Island a number of years. I've known a lot of Calvary Chapel pastors. I've had the privilege of being on the regional team along with Sandy in uh, Atlanta. We helped lead the whole South and all the Calvary Chapel. I've known a lot of Calvary Chapel pastors. And you know what I've been impressed by? Now, there's some guys that have failed. There's always gonna be guys that, that fail. But as a whole the dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of Calvary Chapel pastors I've met and I've got to know, they've stayed on track as a whole. And I think of guys like Greg Laurie and Mike McIntosh and Raul Reese. The guys have been fighting the battles for 40, 50 years in full-time ministry. They've stayed on track. And they haven't fallen morally. I was thinking about that this week. and I'm going, why? Why do so many other denominations have pastors that are? They're dropping like flies morally and making all these mistakes. Calvary Chapel as a whole, most of the pastors I've known, man, they, they, they're pressing on and they're doing well. Why is that? Because Calvary Chapel pastors, if you're doing your job as a Calvary Chapel pastor, you're reading God's Word, you're studying God's Word, you're meditating God's Word, you're teaching God's Word, you're inundating your life with God's Word, and you're sharing with, his, feeding all the sheep with God's Word. And what does God's Word do for you then? It keeps you free. It keeps you abiding in the Word and giving you victory over the evil one because the Word of God abides in you. And that's why I'm a Calvary Chapel guy. Always will be now. From now on, I always, I'm going to be for the rest of my life Calvary Chapel because Calvary Chapel is about getting the Word in you and working through you through the Word of God. And there's power in that. You shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. Can you get an amen to that? Amen. amen. God's word abiding us helps us overcome the temptations and the stuff that we're battling with because God's word sets us free, sets us free. Hmm. Last thing, we'll close with this this morning. You want to live in freedom? You want to win? You want to exercise self-control? You not only have to be inundating your life with God's word, but you got to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4.6 says, it's not by our might, nor by our power, but it's by God's Spirit, right? You can't win this battle in your flesh. It's got to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16, great verse on this, It says this, but I, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Another version says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, that's why we're told in the book of Romans also, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no more provision for the lusts of your flesh. And here's what, what happens as you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, as you have this abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, he abides in you and he produces the fruit of the spirit of all the things we've studied, including self-control. That's so important. Have this abiding, growing, spirit-filled relationship with Jesus Christ and it'll give you power. It'll give you power to live in the fruit of the spirit of self-control. It's wonderful. I don't know about you, but I want that. I was reading this week about this lion in Africa, king of the jungle, prowling around his jungle, just be king. And he's just, Toughest animal in the whole jungle. King of the jungle. And all of a sudden, he sees this T-bone steak. And he hadn't eaten well for a while. He hadn't had much prey lately. And he sees this T-bone steak. (sniffs) He smells it. He sees it raw. But it's on a tarp. And as he gets close to the tarp, and he's seeing it, and he's smelling it, and he's got hunger pains, he he jumps on this T-bone steak. And all of a sudden, whoosh. Tarp goes up in the air. It's a trap. And this lion that was the king of the jungle ends up in the zoo in Africa behind bars. And he's got kids throwing popcorn at him, making fun of him. And he's a prisoner now instead of the king, the king of the jungle. <laughs> but one day the zookeeper left his gate unlocked. He escaped, escaped right through the, the gate. And he, next thing you know, he's back in the, he's back in the jungle. And he's back in the jungle. He's a king again. There's no more kids throwing popcorn at him anymore. And he's doing great. The king of the jungle. And then one day, he sees the T-bone steak again. Oh, sees the juice coming out of the raw meat. But it's on a tarp again. What would you say to that lion right there? he's about to pounce on the T-bone steak again? Don't do it! It's not worth your freedom. Exercise self control. Go go get a deer or something. Venison. Stay away. Stay away. Run. You know what? Our Savior is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's called us his kids, the king's kids. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. He doesn't want you to be jumping in the traps. He wants you to be realizing you're the crown of his creation, the glory of his creation. and He wants you to be living in the dignity of freedom. But if you're going to do it, you need to exercise these biblical principles. You need to be honest. Be honest with God and with others with your struggle with sin. Be honest and exercise freedom through honesty. Number two, don't quit. Don't quit. Keep pressing on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Number three, stay away from any place or person that's going to get you trapped and stuck in imprisonment again. Number four, know your weak areas. Don't be unaware of Satan's schemes against you. Be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Number five, Read, study, hear, meditate, memorize what? God's word. May it be a lamp under your feet and a light on your path. Number six, very important. Very important. Depend on the Holy Spirit. You can't do this stuff in the flesh. You can't win in your own power. But with God's power, you can. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. And hey, last thing. Listen, listen, please. If you don't have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to get one. Because again, he says, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you, and that you, will, you will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can't do this. You can do nothing. And you know, some of you here this morning, you're, you're, you're realizing you're in prison to some stuff, and the only thing that's going to set you free is Jesus. If the Son sets you free, the Bible says you shall be free indeed. But you need to let him set you free. And the Bible says Jesus is standing at the door of every human heart. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I'll come in. And I'll dine with him and, and he with me. But if you're here this morning and you haven't opened your heart to Jesus yet, do it today. He'll come in and he'll forgive you. And then he'll give you the power to win. Because that's what he does. He's the prince. He's the, pr- the, the prince of peace. He gives you peace in your heart. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. But you've got to open your heart. If you've never done that, do that this morning. I'll give you an opportunity to do the prayer time if you want to open your heart to, to Christ. And then he'll give you the power to be free if you open your heart to him. If you've never done that before, do it this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning, God. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you, God, that we shall know the truth and the truth will set us free. And Father, I pray that we would be people that are freedom fighters, Lord. Help us not to quit in the struggle that we all have with temptation and sin and whatever else, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we keep pressing on to the upward call of God that you have for us in each one of our lives, Lord. Help us to be honest, too and those struggles that we have. Help us to be honest with you and honest with trusted Christian friends that can pray for us and hold us accountable, Lord. I pray too we'd stay away from those people or or places or, or associations that might pull us back into imprisonment, Lord. Help us to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Help us to know our weak areas, Lord, and how the devil tempts us, Lord. Help us be wise in these areas and set boundaries, Lord, I pray that we'd be people of the word, too, that read, study, meditate, hear, and memorize your word, God, so your word could set us free and your word could be a part of how we live in freedom, Lord. God, I pray for your power, too, Lord. We need your power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us win in these battles. And so we ask for that, God. Just fill us afresh, even this morning. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Help us not to depend on our own strength, Lord, but on your strength, God. And we could do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Hmm. And Father, I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that's never really opened their heart to Jesus. And I I sense you might be knocking on some people's hearts this morning saying, hey, let me in. Let me in. I want to forgive you. I want to be your Savior, your Lord. That's what I think God might be speaking to some of you this morning. If you're here this morning and you want to receive Christ and begin this relationship with Christ so that you can have the power of knowing Christ and He give you the power over the things you struggle with. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning to just open your heart to Christ and receive Christ. If you want to do that this morning and you want to receive Christ this morning, I want you to do this. Just raise your hand and say, Pastor John, pray for me. I want to receive Christ and open my heart to Christ this morning. If you're here this morning and you want me to pray for you to receive Christ, just raise your hand right now. and I'd love to pray for you. Right here on the side, praise the Lord. Keep your hand up, I'll pray for you in just a second. Anybody else this morning, if you want to receive Christ, just raise your hand this morning, I'll pray for you in just a second. Anybody else this morning? If Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, and you want to open your heart to his love and receive Christ as your Savior and your Lord. I want to, I want to pray for you this morning. Just raise your hand right now if you want to do that. Anybody else? He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. Since there might be another person or two that needs to receive Christ this morning. If you're here this morning and want to receive Christ, raise your hand right now and I'll pray for you. Anybody else? All right. Right here on the. Just go ahead and stand up. This person, raise your hand and I'll pray for you right now. Go ahead and stand up. Praise the Lord. And pray this prayer. Just pray out loud with this this lady over here on the side, let's pray out loud, church, right now. Lord Jesus, let's go pray. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I trust you to be my Savior and to be my Lord. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well done.